Beloved, if you have your Bible there with you this morning, let's please turn to the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. I'll read uh, a little bit of it to you, and then we'll look at it together as we continue in our series. Hebrews 13. Let me read it to you. You can follow along in your own Bible. I'm reading from the Christian Standard uh, Version, an easy English version. Let brotherly love continue. Do neglect to show hospitality, for doing for by doing so some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled. Because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For, him, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as carefully as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it is good. For the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations. Since those who observe them have not benefited. For we have an altar from which there, those who worship at the tabernacle do not have the right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest is as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. And we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Because we're not going to look at all those verses, so you don't have to be afraid. Um, we have been going through the book of Hebrews and seeing that Hebrews was written to a people who were, a Christian people who were going through hard times. They were being persecuted by the other Jews. Jewish Christians being persecuted by non-Jewish Christians. And so the Jewish Christians were beginning to become uh, afraid. They were beginning to compromise. They were beginning to go halfway. Now we all understand that Jesus is our sacrifice. He washed away all our sins. But in the Jewish mind, a Jewish non-Christian, they still believed that their sacrifices at the Passover were instrumental in taking away their sins. They washed their sins through the, the sacrifices, through the rituals, the ceremonies of their church. But the poor Jewish Christians, they knew better. They, they couldn't go up to the temple and sacrifice sheep or goats or doves because Jesus was their sacrifice. So they had to say, no. And in doing so, they caused offense. And now we understand this. Jesus warned his disciples that their enemies would be the members of their own households. 
their mothers, their fathers, their brothers, their sisters, those who did not believe. And so he writes, the writer of the book of Hebrews writes this letter, sermon, as a way of encouraging them in their fear, as a way of encouraging them to continue on in their faith, to trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone, and don't try and add to Jesus or camouflage or conceal their faith in Jesus by trying to fit in and look like everybody else. And throughout chapters 1 to 10, he makes the case that Jesus is better than everything else, anything else. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the scriptures. Jesus is better than, than the saints, Moses, the prophets, even the law. Jesus is better than all of those things. He is supremely better. And that salvation is found in Him and Him alone, in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus something else, or going to a certain church, or participating in certain rituals. Jesus and faith in Him and Him alone is enough. That is what God demands. In chapter 11, that great chapter of faith, the writer, or the Holy Spirit through the writer, gives us this wonderful list of examples of people who have, by faith, throughout the Bible, overcome and triumphed. Demonstrating that the way of faith is not a new thing. But from the garden, from the beginning, it has always been this way. Chapter 12 he warns his hearers, his readers, those who he's communicating to about the seriousness of denying the worship of Jesus. That it's not a simple thing. It's not something that can be just brushed under the carpet that can be ignored. There are serious consequences to refusing to worship Jesus. He reminds them that Jesus is Lord and I think that's a good reminder for all of us here today, is what relationship do you have with the word Lord? We call Jesus, don't we? Herren Jesus Christus, or Lord Jesus Christ. Just comes off our tongue. Means nothing. But if I was to ask you, what does the word Lord mean to you? Is it just a word or does it have meaning? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Because He is Lord. The question is, is He the Lord of your life? Or are you still in rebellion? Are you still struggling against His Lordship over your life? I think it was Dawn, or maybe it was Lynette, who told me that they were flying back from... Where did you go? Malaysia? Yes, Malaysia. And as they were flying from Helsinki to Kronobu, a very special person came onto the plane, didn't they? It was Asana Marin. And she came in, and, and before she came on, her security guards came on. And they made sure that everybody was set down, everybody, nobody moved. When she came on the plane, her security was in control. You couldn't go up and ask her for an interview or an autograph. She came in and everybody sat down. And when the plane landed, 
It's the same thing. Security ensured that she got off the plane. Was it first? Did she get off the plane first? She got her bag first. She got everything into her car and they drove her away. Why? Because she's a very important person in our culture. Was, still is. More Instagram supporters than, than all of the Finnish government and all that kind of stuff. She is a lord of some sense. If the Swedish king was to come in here now with all of his, I'm not a king person, I'm a Republican, I'm afraid. I'm an Irishman, I believe in the Republican. Yes, Ireland, Britain, Britain has a king. Ireland, we don't have a king. Um, if the king of Sweden or the king of England was to come in here, we'd all be expected to bow to him, wouldn't we? Congratulations, or, or curtsy. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do. I'd be like this. When I was a young man, and I worked in a community for mentally handicapped people, um, our patron, the person who was the, our, our, our patron of, the, of the, the charity, was the sister of the Queen of England, Princess Margaret, I think her name is. And she came to visit the, the community that I was working in and living in, and she was a very old lady. And for three days before her visit, we had the secret service of, the, of England come. And they scoured. They, they looked under every bed. They looked under in every toilet for a bomb. They had dogs everywhere. You had to be searched every time. And then she came. And she was a little wrinkly woman. She had a cigarette in one hand and a glass of, I think it was brandy or something, in the other. And she came and she was like, oh, Hello. And because I was a young man, I was in my early 20s, and I was the only young man among all of these older ladies, uh, she came and spoke to me. And uh, we were all expected to bow, and I didn't, and because she, she stopped, I didn't know to bow or to curtsy. Or, and there's this expectation because of their lordness, because of their importance for some reason, that we have to, we have to uh, pay deference to them. Something, you know? That's on an earthly realm. Jesus Christ is the Lord of creation. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. What relationship do you have to the word Lord? We often say Jesus is my Savior. Yes, yes. But can we honestly say that He is the Lord of our life? That we live our life according to His rules, His teachings, to his glory, or are we still in rebellion? And in chapter 12, the writer, the speaker, he points that out. He challenges us. He instructs us on how dangerous it is to reject the worship of Jesus. Because as Christians, as followers, as people, we are... <sighs> Very adept at forgetting. I forget everything. You know, my wife says, says I don't forget anything. Oh, I do. <laughs> no, the other way around. I say I don't forget anything. My wife says, like, I don't remember anything. And, um, but as Christians, we have the ability to forget and to function as the people in the world function. And we let things go. And so, in chapter 13, where we are today, the writer is 
or the Holy Spirit through the writer is telling us about the, the practical applications of worship, of worshiping Jesus. In chapter 12, he talked about the importance of worshiping Jesus. In chapter 13, he tells us how to worship Jesus. Now, if you're like me, I was brought up in a church where we thought worship was singing. We thought worship was on a Sunday between 10 and 12. And it was for 20 minutes of the service where we all stood and we all worshipped. And I loved those. Indeed, when I was a young man and had hair and no beard, I used to stand on the stage and sing as part of the worship team. But the Bible doesn't talk about the necessity of worship singing. It talks about the necessity of worship living. Jesus said, do you remember? Jesus said to the woman at the well. Do you remember that story from the book of John? Where the woman is trying to have a, a, a religious conversation with Jesus. And she says, you know, you Jews say that we should worship over there, and our fathers say we should worship over here. Where should we worship? And Jesus looks at her and he speaks directly to her heart and he says, Listen, there's coming a time when people will worship in spirit and in truth, without hypocrisy, from the heart. Not an outward worship, but an inward worship. Not a one day a year, not a, an hour or 20 minutes or 15 minutes, a day on a Sunday. But every day, all day, for the rest of your life and into eternity. That the followers of God, those disciples of Christ who are called Christians, will be worshipful people. And so here in chapter 13, as he enters this, he is commanding us. They're They're not things that you and I can debate about. These are commands. These are explicits. These are exhortations. He's telling you what to do. You must, as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, you must do these things. And indeed, we see that a church community, a Christian community that has forgotten to worship Jesus, that has begun to compromise with the world that has begun to seek after the shiny things of entertainment. Do you remember the Apostle Paul warned Timothy in his letter, there will come a time when men will heap up for themselves false teachers who will tickle their ears. Well, this guy's warning us about those kind of things and how we're to avoid that. And a church culture in decline, these are the indications of it. These are the things that happen, or the negative connotations of these things happen when a church begins to not worship Jesus. And the first thing he begins with was, in my Bible, it says, let brotherly love continue. In the Swedish, I think it says, um, brotherly love. You know? and, that's just, and the idea here is, he is recognizing that the believers have stopped caring for one another. The word brotherly love, Philadelphia, means to show tender care to your fellow man. And it's to the believers. This is a command to the church and how they are to communicate and be in relationship with one another. That we are not to forget to show brotherly love, tender care, special care. 
as you parents care for your children, as you family members care for one another, we are to care for the community of the church. You see, when a church stops worshipping Jesus, it stops caring about one another. Jesus said, if you love me, you will love one another. Indeed, this is how the world will know that you love me. Because of the way you love one another. It's a paraphrase, but it's the same thing. The indication, the first signature gift or signature sign of a Christian is the love they show towards other Christians. Beloved, we need to remember that the true and real worship of Jesus Christ first and foremost comes about by you loving your brother or sister in Christ. You say, well, that's not hard. Really? Have you been part of a church? Because that can be very hard. Somebody says something to you. Somebody does something to you. Remember, I know I repeat myself, but that was a wonderful experience. When I was a young man, and I, I was a, a handshaker in the, in the church. You know, when people come into the building and you shake their hands, and then as they're going out of the building, you say, thank you for coming. I hope to see you again. The Lord bless you. You have little conversations with people. And there were two ladies in our church who were the ladies in charge of the kitchen. The, the, the tea ladies, we called them. Two older ladies. And they had a falling out. They began to have an argument. Somebody, I don't know, something. Somebody made someone's cake was better than somebody else's. I don't know the, the ins and outs. But they had an argument. And that argument began to split the church. And these two ladies began to get very frosty, very cold, very kind of with one another. And I remember standing at the door of the church talking to one of these ladies. And the second lady came and I could feel the tension between the two. There was like electricity. And as the second lady went past us, she said, goodbye, good evening. And walked out with her husband. Her poor husband was like this. Walking behind. Oh, I'm sorry. And as they left the building and they were getting into their car and we were watching them as they were and the first lady said to me, turned around and went, Did you hear what she said to me? There was this kind of anger. The lady hadn't said anything, but there was a division. And something had caused a, a, a breakdown in that love. Two women who had been friends for years and years and worked together in a ministry in the church. Something happened and then one year their friendship was over. And what happened in the end, one of those ladies moved to a different church. The Bible forbids that kind of behavior. The Bible says, and indeed, Paul and no, Peter says in his letter, 1 Peter 4, I think it is, he says, it is my prayer that your brotherly love should increase and overflow for one another. Not just that it should be a little bit or a lot, but it should overflow. That we, and it goes on in that same time. That you should try and outdo one another in your acts of kindness. That we should be looking after one another. Isn't that a wonderful community to, to belong to? Wouldn't that be a wonderful church to go to? where people care for one another, when a person is in need or has a problem or is simply sad or something, that the rest of the congregation, that 
will go and help them, will pray for them, will be in their life, look after their kids, do whatever needs to be done, but they're in. Don't forget to show brotherly love. That's the very first thing. We are commanded to care for one another as a church. Let me ask you, in your worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, are you loving your brothers and your sisters? Not, not having feelings. Well, I, I, I like him. I like them. It's not about liking. It's about showing tender care. It's about actively doing things for someone else's benefit. First and foremost in the congregation, your act of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ isn't singing songs on a Sunday. Well, God's really pleased I sang well today. And then you leave. That's not an act of worship. That's you enjoying yourself in the congregational singing. I love congregational singing when we sing together. But that's not the fullness of my worship. The fullness of my worship begins with my care for my brothers and my sisters. Otherwise, I am standing against the words of God. Do you remember that Jesus said, somebody asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? One of these theological professors wanting to have a theological debate with Jesus, get in the books and keep it all, all theological and not real. All in your head and not in your heart. And Jesus looked at the man and said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. With your whole being. And the man was like, Well done, that is the correct. And then Jesus immediately turns to him and says, And the second is, Love your neighbor as yourself. And puts the man on, on the spot. Because you can't say you love God without loving your neighbor. Without loving your brother or sister in church. Indeed, the Apostle John says, you say that you are, no, uh, no sorry, the, uh, James, in the book of James, it says, you say you have deeds, but I, or you say you have faith, but I have deeds. You say that you believe in God, but I don't see the evidence of it. I have deeds. Deeds, the evidence of my faith is my love for my brothers and my sisters. Faith in action. So first and foremost, he begins with this, Brotherly love. We must continue in that. The second then is that we don't neglect to show hospitality. Hospitality, I love that word in the Greek. It's philozenia. To care for strangers or the unknown. Ochent is a good word in Swedish. It doesn't mean... Uh, it doesn't mean inviting someone back to your house for a cup of coffee or having a meal with your friends. Doesn't, the, hospitality in the Christian world is something different than hospitality in the world. Christians are commanded to be hospitable. And this word, of course, the first instruction was to the, to the church about the church. The second instruction is to the church about the world. To those who don't belong to the oikos, the, the family, the household of God. This is to the stranger. This is to the, the person outside the congregation. Outside of Christ. That we are to show them hospitality. Doesn't mean we invite them into our homes, though in the ancient world they did do that. 
It means that we, in some way and somehow, show tender care to the people in the world out there. In the ancient world, in biblical times, in the first century, Christians were continually getting into trouble because they kept interfering in other people's businesses. So that's not very good. Well, you think in the ancient world, you're going to work in the morning. Of course, you're walking, you're not driving. And as you're walking along in the ditch, among all of the uh, poo and pee and all the rest of the stuff that's in the ditch, there's a newborn baby. A newborn baby is lying in the ditch. It's crying and blue, almost dead. The Christians would see this baby, because in the ancient world that was the practice. If you didn't want a child, if it was too much bother, you could just leave it out to die. They thought it was an act of mercy to let the child die quickly. And if the gods wanted it, the gods would take the child. The Christians who value all life will look upon a child and be moved with compassion and mercy, and they would pick the child up and take it home. And they would begin to care for it as their own. They would unofficially adopt the child. The parents of then that child would see how that child was doing well. And maybe two or three years old, the child was running around like one of our loud little monsters that we have. And the, the original parents would look and see and they would say, Hey, that's not good. And then they would go and they would try and seize the child back so that they might sell the child into slavery. And the Christian Guardians would say, no, no, the child is mine now. You abandon them. And then the Christians get put into jail because they were adopting homeless children. You say, well, Kyle, that was way back 2,000 years ago. Such things don't still happen. Amy Carmichael, an Irish missionary to India. The girl who used to dye her skin dark. She used to get coffee. You know, like the stuff in the coffee grounds? And she'd dye her skin dark. She had very blue eyes because she was an Irish girl. And so she would, she, and she would dress in a sari and she would not pretend to be an Indian, but she you know to, to, uh, to blend in. Her first few months in India were a nightmare because when she would get up in the morning to go and pray, the banks of the Gandhi River were so, just covered in unwanted girl children. This is 1896 to she died in 1920 something I think. Every day she would go out while she was a missionary in, in India. Every day she would go out and she would gather the unwanted children, the, the abandoned. They would, they would feed them to the crocodiles. And she would go and she would rescue the children. And, and You can still go and visit her her, her uh, Orphanage today. Jeff, our, our beloved friend Jeff and Harkrai, the mission that I work with, work together with them today. You say, well, that was India. China, same thing. They would leave the children out. And the same thing happened there. The Christians would adopt them. And then the Christians would get in trouble because they cared for these children. See, our view of the word hospitality is very shallow, isn't it? My hospitality is like an hour or two. You come to my house, we drink coffee. An hour or two, you know that's a lie. You come to my house, we drink coffee, you know, we play, we do whatever we want. That kind of thing. And then you go home. Biblical view of hospitality is something a little bit bigger than ours. 
And again, this comes to the worship of God. The worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship Christ by being hospitable. Yes, Venli Het. Isn't that what it is in Swedish? Yeah. Kind of kind of changes the whole meaning of the word, doesn't it? Whenever you uh, consider the biblical. Beloved, as Christians, our worship has to be something more than simple singing, hand raising, and enjoyment. Our worship has to be in sincerity and in truth. It has to be real. It has to go beyond what the world expects of us or the world churches. And it begins with you personally and extends into our community as the church and then beyond the community of the church into the, the community in which we live. As God brings opportunities to you in your life for you to demonstrate. Or do you just close your eyes and walk away? Do you know the parable of the Good Samaritan? You know that, that, that story that Jesus told about the, 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 the Jew who had been attacked? He was on his way to Jerusalem, was attacked and was beaten and robbed and left naked and bleeding and dying and by the side of the road. And then several Jewish men came and they, they just walked past him. Ooh, don't want anything to do with that. Until finally a Samaritan man came. Now when Jesus told stories, he told scandalous stories. Stories that were shocking. Stories that would, whenever the Jews heard Jesus telling this story about the good Samaritan, they would have all been like, how dare you? We don't really get it because we don't have that animosity. But think of it this way. There was a Russian man going up to the temple. And uh, he was beaten and abused and left for dying. And then an Orthodox priest went by. And then a Russian lawyer went by. And then a Ukrainian came. A Ukrainian from the west of, of uh, Ukraine. Indeed, one who probably is a Nazi. I don't know, it's controversial, but you know. The, and, the, oh, and Jesus is telling this story to Jews, we would say, to, you know, in comparison to Russians. It was shocking and unimaginable. That could never happen, Jesus. And Jesus points out, says, to which of these men was, which of these men was a neighbor to the beaten man? And of course, they all pointed the one that helped him. They didn't even say the Samaritan, the one that helped him. There must be an authenticity to our faith, to our worship. Showing up on a Sunday doesn't make you a Christian. Saying, I love Jesus, doesn't make you a Christian. Makes you religious. The day to day demonstration of your faith. The putting into practice his teachings for his glory demonstrates the fact that you're a Christian. Beloved, we're told not to neglect hospitality. And a church in decline, a church that stops worshipping Jesus, a church that has been distracted by other things, that has begun to forget, forgotten, has begun to forgotten. That's not right. Has begun to forget. That's it. 
has begun to forget who Jesus is, has forgotten to worship him, has transformed worship into something that's just an outward, not an inward. There is a decline in brotherly love towards one another. There is a decline. There's a separation between church members. And we say, well, Kyle, my culture, our Finnish culture, I don't know about Swedish culture. I'm sorry, I've never been there. Our culture is very kind of standoffish. We're very private people. That could be your culture, yes. But Christ's culture, which is greater than your culture, which you're called to obey, commands you to kill your culture and to live in His. This is how the world knows who we are. Because all the world, all the world is standoffish. Not just the Finns or the Swedes or the Scandinavians. But as Christians, we cannot be... We're not saying you have to be an outward Irish guy or a, a South African. But you must put into practice these lessons according to what the Bible says. So, a church in decline in its worship stops loving one another, becomes sectarian, as in... It no longer cares about anything but itself. It, it, it doesn't care about the world. doesn't care about the people in the world. doesn't care about the needs of the people of the world. Selfish. Hard-hearted. And then the last thing for today is remember those in prison. As though you were in prison. Remember those who are mistreated as though you yourself are being mistreated. Remember when I said about the, the early Christians being imprisoned because they would rescue children. When during this time the Christians are in Jerusalem are being persecuted, this is written around the time when Paul, who was Saul, is persecuting the church. So this is written when Paul was not a believer yet. Debatable, I know. And the Christians are being persecuted. They're being imprisoned. Indeed, it ends with Stephen being stoned. And the writer here says that as Christians, we cannot distance ourselves for safety from those who are being abused by the world. Now you say, well, you know, it depends on what they're in prison for. See, the world never imprisons people for, for believing in Jesus. When I was in Romania many years ago, I remember being with the, the pastors who had, who had um, suffered under the communistic regime there. And they told me that the, the secret police would go into the schools and they would take a Bible with them and uh, they would teach the religious education class. And they would open the Bible and they would read a story and they would leave it half done or undone. And they would say to all the children in the class, can anyone tell me how this story ends? And the majority of the little communist children were like, I don't even know who, what, what? Sadly, the, the Christian, the children from the Christian houses were like, oh, I know the answer. And then, can you tell me the answer? Oh, yes, that's right. And they would mark, okay, that child and his parents obviously are Christians. They know the Bible. And then they would 
arrest them for being dissident or agents against the regime, as terrorists actually. I, I spent time with a little, little man, he's like but this tall, white hair. He spent 19 years in jail, never committed a crime, was tortured and brutalized. Little tiny, tiny, white-haired man. It's one of the leaders of the, the Baptist churches in Romania. And they never told him why he was in jail. They never charged him with anything. It's just his church was too successful. And one day they, they took him from the street. And in their system in Romania, I guess it's like the, the system in, in, in ancient times, people were dependent on outside help. So during the Ceausescu, Ceausescu, I think that's how you pronounce his name, regime, they didn't, when you were in jail, they didn't provide you food. They didn't provide you medical assistance. They didn't provide you care. You were in, in, a, in a, a room with lots of other people. And uh, you had to fight for what you're... And so the Christians had to go and supply the needs of the imprisoner, the imprisoned, the prisoners. Otherwise they would have starved to death or, you know, or, or, or if they got sick, they would have died from their sickness. And the commandment here is to show sympathy towards one another. It is to care for each other in the middle of our hardship. Even if it's a bit shameful and shocking. Even if it's a bit embarrassing. The people of the world look and go, and look and go oh, oh. but yet we as Christians in our sympathy, in our empathy with our brother or sister, we care for them as if they, it was ourselves. What we would want to happen to us when we are in that situation, we do for another. It's the golden rule, isn't it? Do for others what you'd have them do for you. This is a, a part of our Christian worship. Do you worship God? Do you worship the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you recognize Him as your God? This is how you worship Him. In your day and daily, not just on a Sunday, but in your day and daily life. It's a great question though, isn't it? How would we react? What would we do? And for the, the Jews, for the Christians of this early century, in the first century, it wasn't a case of they would go one time on a Wednesday. You know, I'll be here next month. I'll come and visit you next month between 3 and 8 or, you know, opening hours in the jail. It was a, a daily commitment. They would have to go daily with food. They would have to go regularly with, with medical things or clothes. Indeed, the Romans complained about the Christians that they so cared for one another that they would take collections and they would buy the freedom of imprisoned, other imprisoned Christians. And the, uh, the Romans complained that the more they persecuted these Christians and put them in jail, the more the other Christians came out of the woodwork. He said, when we thought we got them all, as soon as we imprisoned them, more came out to care for the imprisoned ones. We imprisoned them and more came out to... Uh, care for them so we eventually gave up beloved 
Your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a personal and private thing, absolutely. But it must be publicly demonstrated to be real. There are no secret Christians. There are no private interpretations of what it means. Well, for me, Christianity is like this. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit through the writer is telling you that you need to love your brother and sister in Christ. You need to demonstrate the goodness of God to the people of the world. You need to show compassion and sympathy with those who are suffering as if you yourself were suffering. Why? Because Jesus said, "For because you did this to the, the least of my children, you did it unto me. Enter into paradise. Brings the question of what our worship is. Amen? Let's just finish there. Let's just pray and then we can sing our last song. Is that right? Yeah. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we realize that oftentimes, Lord, we are a worshipless people, that we function Christlessly in our lives, that you, Lord, have no meaning in our practical day to day daily living. The Lord, when we think of the word Lord, we use it like a nickname. Casually and without any real meaning. We ask of you, Lord, to forgive us. We ask you, Lord, to move in our minds and in our hearts to enable us to really understand, to really appreciate, to relish that we might be among those who worship you in spirit and in truth without hypocrisy. Lord, forgive us for those times when we have not loved our brother or our sister, when we have spoken unkindly, when we have gossiped or criticized, when we have judged them in our heart, when we have caused schism and separation. Lord, we apologize and we ask for forgiveness and we ask, oh God, to help us to repent, to turn away from that kind of behavior. Oh Lord, we pray. Forgive us for our lack of love to the people in this world. Forgive us, Lord, for the lack of love for their salvation and for their daily needs. Lord, when we live in a world that is under an epidemic of loneliness, when more people are on medication today than ever before, when they feel lost and abandoned, and here are we with the light and they live in darkness and we do not care. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to repent and to put into practice a loving way of life. Help us to demonstrate your love and your light to the people in this world. Heavenly Father, please, we recognize that we have not always cared about those who have been in trouble. That we haven't, Lord, always stood with our brothers and sisters who are suffering in this world for your sake. The Lord, we have often distanced ourselves. We've often judged them. We've often mocked them. We've often thanked you, Lord, that we're not like them. We pray, God, forgive us. Lord, forgive us. We ask you, Lord, to make us more sympathetic. Lord, more sensitive. Lord, you who wept at the death of Lazarus, Lord, help us to feel the pain of others. And Lord, to be more than just those who hear the word, but those who do the word as well. That, Lord, we would put into practice this way of life that you have commanded us to live. That, Lord, we might worship you 
and truth, that, Lord, we might demonstrate our love for you in reality. Oh, Lord, we praise you and we thank you that you have not given up on us, that, Lord, there is hope, that our Lord Jesus Christ stands with us, that his blood has cleansed us from every sin. Oh, my God, we pray. Lord, we pray all these things for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.